to the first message in the first series of the first Sunday of 2021. Yes, it is a fresh slate, a new year, a, a new launching pad, all those cliche comments we've been reading on social media. But the truth is, it's another day and another week and another month that just so happens to be the month that we change out our calendars. As much as we would like to get 2020 behind us, this past year has changed us. It has changed the way we think, the way we look at others, and who we will be in 2021. See, we're, we're on a trajectory that is determined by our past. And if we look down the road 5, 10, 15 years, where do we find ourselves? What does my relationship with God look like? What does my relationship with myself look like? Am, am I an emotionally unhealthy and spiritually shallow person? Is my marriage a duty or is it a delight? Are, are my kids involved with the church? Am I basically who I am today, just older and balder? <laughs> At least we can eliminate one of those from the list. Am I stressed out, on edge, quick to snap at the people I love the most? Have, have I been preaching a way of life that sounds better than it actually is? The fact of the matter is that 2021 will be no different than the dumpster fire of 2020, unless, unless we make some intentional transformations in our lives. Here's the question I want to begin this series with. What if we change the way we live our lives or evaluate our lives? What, what if we were to reevaluate what we are going after? It, what if we re redefine what success looks like? What if the metrics of success were to be reexamined? See, your, your workplace has been adjusted and transformed. Your evaluation as a parent needs to be reevaluated because you're now relearning algebra and biology so you can teach it to your kids. Grandparents are limited in their contact with their grandkids. I believe I've identified, for me, the greatest flaw in the day-to-day -day life, at least for me. And if you're honest with yourself, you share this flaw with me. And here it is. Jesus is the Lord of my eternity, but he is not the Lord of my present. Let me say that again. Jesus is the Lord of my eternity, but he is not the Lord of my present. See, saying Jesus is the Lord of my eternity is equivalent for most of you that have been around a church to saying that Jesus is my Savior, meaning, meaning that Jesus has saved me from eternity in hell. Let, let me break that down for everyone. Romans 3, 10, verses, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 says, No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. See, as a result of our sin, we deserve God's anger and judgment. The only just punishment for sins committed against an infinite and eternal God is an infinite and eternal punishment. We need a savior from this. Thankfully, Jesus came to earth and died in our place. Jesus' death was the infinite payment for our sins. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, 
so that we could be made right with God through Christ. See, Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins, and he is our eternal Savior. There's no doubt that making Jesus the Lord of my eternity is the best decision I can make for my eternal life. Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Greek word there that we translate salvation is actually soteria. It's the same word that can be translated healing or health. In fact, our salvation, the word salvation comes from the Latin word salve, an ointment. You put on a burn or a wound. See, what we've done is we have limited the salvation of Jesus to heaven, eternal salvation. Now, I'm in no way trying to downplay the importance of our eternal salvation. Jesus Christ must be the Lord of our eternal lives. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Now, if, if trusting Jesus is, with our eternal life is vital, then trusting him with our present life is equally important. As we closed out 2020, we spent the last weeks looking at the characteristics of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. The last one of them that was, uh, was of God, the characteristics was that God is faithful. And Pastor Corey and myself used the illustration of how uh, a chair demonstrates God's faithfulness. See, I, I'm, not, I'm never blindly trusting the chair. The chair has been faithful to me. And time and time again, when I sit down, I am full of faith. I'm faithful in that chair. Why? Because the chair has been faithful to me. So we can say that God's faithfulness to us equips us to be faithful to him. Now, I really believe that God is calling us to walk in faith in 2021. This means we must be faithful. Faithful is going to be our focus for 2021. That's what this whole series is all about, is what if Jesus is right, and I need to be faithful to what he has given us. So here's the foundational question for this series. If we can put our faith in Jesus for our eternal life, why would we not put our faith in Jesus for our day-to-day -day life? It's a simple statement, but it has profound consequences to the way we live our lives. This is exactly what Jesus said over and over again in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Uh, and for through 30, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Have you ever felt weary? The type of weariness that fogs your mind and makes, you, makes your soul heavy. What about burdened? Do, do you relate with being so tired that you feel it in your bones? Bone tired? It turns out that we're not alone. Jesus invites all of us to take up the easy yoke. I love the way Eugene Peterson phrases it in the message. He says, to live freely and lightly. Jesus makes us an offer to teach you and I how to find rest for our souls. 
Most of us don't even think to look to Jesus as a teacher. Well, when we think of Jesus, we have two main images that come to mind immediately. A baby in a manger or a man on a cross. We, skip, we quickly skip over the middle section. It's, and it's completely natural since these are the two parts, the baby in the manger and the man on the cross, that we focus on the mo- most, Christmas and Easter. But when we think about a teacher of life, how to live our lives, we don't usually think of Jesus first. But if we spend some time in the four Gospels, the first four books of the Newer Testament, you will discover that Jesus is the most brilliant, most insightful, most thought-provoking teacher who ever walked the earth. Jesus was a rabbi. That, that, word, that Hebrew word could be translated teacher. That's a simplified form, but Jesus most definitely was the Messiah. And he was the embodiment of God himself. We just spent an entire series diving into that. But if you would have been a first century Jew, the category you would have put, him, put Jesus in was that of a rabbi or a traveling sage or, for our language, a, a teacher. And like every rabbi, teacher of his day, Jesus had two things. He had a yoke, not, not a literal yoke that was placed upon the, the shoulders of a cow or donkey to plow a field. A, a yoke was a common idiom or an illustration in the first century for rabbis, for a rabbi's way of uh, reading the Torah, what we would call the Older Testament. A, a rabbi's yoke was his set of teachings on how to live life. These teachings covered everything from how to manage your money to when it was uh, okay to divorce your wife. Those two can be directly connected, can't they? (laughs) The rabbi taught how to pray and deal with difficult people. The yoke may be an odd image for you and I of of the 21st century because we're not first century Jews. But imagine two oxen yoked together to plow a field. The yoke is placed upon their shoulders. You see it? So a rabbi's yoke is their teachings on how to shoulder the load of life. And just like Jesus, just as every other rabbi of his time period, Jesus had a yoke, but Jesus said his yoke was easy. The other thing that every rabbi teacher would have had was disciples. If you don't have disciples, you don't have, you're not a rabbi. If you don't have a students, you're not a teacher. In Hebrew, the word for disciples is talmudim, typically translated just that, disciples. You could, you could call them students of the teacher. But I think a better image of a Talmudim would be an, an apprentice. See, a, a Talmudim or, or an apprentice has three goals. The first is to be with their rabbi. The second is to be taught by their rabbi. And the third is to become like their rabbi. This means that the goal of Jesus' Talmudim would be to be with Jesus to be taught by Jesus, and then to become like Jesus. That was the goal of the disciples. So what was the yoke that Jesus was teaching to his Talmudim, this yoke that was easy? Fortunately for us, the Bible records it for us. After Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days where he is tempted by Satan but doesn't succumb to those temptations. Immediately following that, in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, the New Living Translation says it this way, John was arrested, 
Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. There it is. Jesus, Jesus' yoke, what he was teaching was he was preaching God's good news or the gospel of God. Jesus was preaching good news. And that's the phrase that's used over and over again in, in the, by the gospel writers that have Jesus teaching that good news. Now, there's another occasion. This is, this is an occasion when we need to take off our 21st century glasses and put on our context glasses to fully grasp what it is, what this good news is. What is the gospel? In the Greek, the word is euangulion. Euangulion. Good news is not, is not a bad translation. Our context just messes it up a bit. See, when we hear the word news, we immediately go to TV. Da da da. No, that's Sports Center. Never mind. The, <laughs> the, I guess it's news, right? It's the newspaper. We go to the newspaper for some, uh, for some of you, you. You might go to the most recent meme that's been posted. <laughs> Sorry. It, we, we, when we think of news, we see the ticker across the bottom of the screen or the breaking news graphic. And today, everything is breaking news. It doesn't matter the content anymore. It's just breaking news. So today, the word news is used most often to describe everyday occurrences, whereas the historical word Eulongulion, Eulongulion, was, was far less common and treated with importance. So the word news is ineffective to the modern, uh, for, for us in the modern world to describe the gospel. A better alternative for, for good news would be a good announcement. In fact, that word is actually, the eulongulion is two words combined, and the first one is, the, is good, and the second one, announcement. Now, here's what's interesting about the gospel, the good announcement that Jesus was teaching. It wasn't the only gospel being taught. In Western, Western Turkey, there are ruins of the city Perin. I had the privilege of visiting this site just over a year ago. It was in this archaeological dig that they found what, they, what is known as the Perin cal- calendar inscription. It's called this because of where it was found and the inscription on it that declares that, the new cal- that there will be a new calendar system based upon the birth of Caesar Augustus. Here's what it says. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings, Eulongulion, for the world, or the gospel, for the world that came by reason of him. This historical good announcement reveals a competing announcement with what we think of as the gospel. The Roman emperors continually declare that the good news of their kingdom, 
that their kingdom is, was bringing peace and justice to the world through violent and political power. The Roman Empire did, not, uh, did, did bring their gospel in the form of Roman roads and coliseums and theaters and armies. The, the Roman coins will say, Caesar, Savior of the world. The statues they erected would declare that he, Caesar was divine. And if you didn't agree with that gospel, you were put under the foot of it. The Roman emperors used the same language and vocabulary as the writers of the Newer Testament when they proclaimed Jesus of Nazareth as the one who brings true peace and justice to the world. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, we started reading there just a little bit ago, said, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It was a kingdom of now in direct conflict with the gospel of Rome. Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He, he, both of these gospels, the gospel of Rome and the gospel of God, proclaimed a kingdom of God. The difference was that the good announcement that Jesus is bringing is upside down from the ones the Romans were proclaiming. Look how Jesus described the kingdom that he was announcing in Mark chapter 10, verse 42. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this, wor in this world lord it over their people. The officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be, a, but be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The, the kingdom of Rome and the kingdom of God were in direct conflict with each other. It forced the first century followers of Jesus to re-examine the metrics of success and how they lived their lives. A follower of Jesus had to redefine what success looked like to them. To be a faithful Faithful to the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaimed meant that they had to change the way they lived their lives. And just as the kingdom of Rome and the kingdom of God were in direct conflict with each other in the first century, we too must choose whose kingdom we're going to let allow to rule our lives. Paul warns us not to be deceived by another gospel. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the servant, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed." Paul is encouraging the followers of Jesus in Corinth to be careful what announcement they are listening to. We must understand that there are all kinds of gospels, good announcements. They sound good. They promise big things. They lure us with their appeal. But there is only one true good announcement. Jesus proclaimed the good announcement, and he was the good announcement. Let me say that again. Jesus proclaimed the good announcement, and he was the good announcement. 
His salvation is both eternal and present. Will you put your faith in him for both? Over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into specific teachings of Jesus and how they apply to us. What if Jesus is right about our, our relationships? What if he's right about the design of our lives? What if he's right about the purpose of our lives? But as I close out this message, I want to give you three action steps. First one is to put your faith in Jesus today. The Bible tells us that we do this by repenting. And that simply means that we turn to him and begin to follow after him. I want to invite you to join me in this prayer of commitment. And you can use the same words I use or you can say them in your own way. But will you pray with me? Jesus, today we put our faith in you. We know we can do this because you have been faithful to us, faithful to the point of dying on that cross for our sins. We trust you with our eternity because you conquered death and hell when you resurrected. And we trust you with our present because your spirit is available to us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The second action step we want to encourage you to take is to join us in the 21 days of prayer and fasting. This is a period of time at the beginning of each year that we set aside to intentionally align ourselves with what God has for us. And then this is where everything comes together. I want to invite you to join us in a year-long journey that we're going to begin on January 27th called A Year of Biblical Literacy. The Bible is a library of writings that are both divine and human that together tell a unified story which leads us to Jesus. And this journey is going to uh, be, uh, consist of four layers, personal, communal, worshipful, and educational. At the close of this message, we're going to, get, we're going to show you a video that gives you more details about this journey. The bottom line is that if we're going to be faithful to Jesus, we have to be faithful to his word. Jesus said in John 8, 31, verse, uh, verses 31 and 32, that says to, to the people who believed him, in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. As we get ready to respond in just a few minutes, I, I want to encourage those of you that are joining us online to take a moment to respond to the Holy Spirit. And then we're gonna close out with a couple quick announcements and a blessing. We are so honored that you joined with us online. Thank you for engaging with your church family. As I mentioned in the message, we are beginning 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I want to invite you to join us. Here's an overview of what 21 days of prayer and fasting is look, looks like from Pastor Corey. Hello everyone, and Happy New Year. I am definitely looking forward to 2021 and starting a new chapter in my faith journey, and I'm sure you are too. As a church family, we will begin 2021 with 21 days of prayer and fasting. Beginning January 3rd through the 24th, we'll be setting aside 21 days to pray and fast as a family. 
We will be having worship Wednesdays at 201 beginning at 6.30 p.m. during those 21 days. Prayer fasting is a, a way to spiritually discipline ourselves so that we can disconnect from the world and reconnect to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I trust that you have been talking with family and friends and praying about ways that you can disconnect from the world and reconnect through the relationship with Jesus Christ in new and fresh ways. I believe together we can step into 2021, making it our best year ever by intentionally investing in our spiritual lives and beginning with faithfulness. On January 27th, we will begin the year of biblical literacy. Here's a quick video of what it's going to look like. I don't know if we really read the Bible anymore. I mean, we listen to podcasts, we come to church, we sit through sermons. Uh, we, we might even read a devotional or a spiritual book, and all of these are, are great. But to take time to read, study, engage with the Bible, sitting down with a pen in hand and a notebook has become a lost art. I get it. It seems like it takes a lifetime of devotion to this collection of 66 books to start to understand them. And then there are all these questions that surround the Bible. Like, how did we get it? And what parts are we supposed to take literally? And what are just stories? And do they all relate to my life? Or do we just spiritualize everything? And to find the answers from this library of books seems, to, seems too hard. So we end up reading what other people have written or what they say about it. Which again is fine, but we tend to stop reading the Bible for ourselves. And the bottom line is we're becoming illiterate when it comes to the scripture. This year at Authentic, we're gonna be going through what we're calling a year of biblical literacy. The year of biblical literacy will consist of four layers. It's gonna be personal, communal, worshipful, educational. The personal layer is getting alone with the scriptures to learn the Bible by reading the, through the Bible. To help us with this, we're going to be working with the Bible Project to create a helpful experience in understanding where you're at in the story as you read it. They're going to give us a five-minute overview video that gives us the big story before you begin to read. This is going to provide some much-needed context. The communal layer is, with, is you with a connect group going through the year together because most of the Bible is written to a people, a nation, a church, a community, not necessarily one individual person. Community is so key to understanding the Word of God. And the worshipful layers are Sunday gatherings. Most of this year's sermon series will tie directly into the year of biblical literacy and help pull everything together. The educational layer will consist of additional gatherings that will meet on the fourth Wednesday of each month. These gatherings will add substance and depth to our journey through the Word of God. This is the year of biblical literacy. Once again, thank you for joining us online this morning. If you would like to engage with us through your giving, you can do that through our app, text to give, or online. All the giving links are in the, app, in the comments. Now let me close this service with a blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Blessings.